You are still listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast. Escaping the Cave over at Substack. Sorry, Toddzilla X over at Substack. I'm getting tired. I'm doing a lot of segments tonight because I'm heading out of town. Heading up to the backwoods of Michigan, up north. If you're not from Michigan, what up north means is, well, D-U-P, northern part of the lower peninsula. Going camping. Be gone for like a week. I saw this really stupid meme the other day. Well, it wasn't so stupid because it's actually kind of true. <clears throat> One part of it was a picture of Detroit, you know, the, the rundown, decrepit part, where someone's saying, Oh, you live in Michigan, or this is Michigan, or you're from Michigan, something down that line. The second picture is something like off in the wilderness. That's Michigan. You take Detroit. Away from this state, man. <clears throat> the state's fantastic. I've got a, a new appreciation for it since we came back a few years ago. Especially the UP, the Upper Peninsula up there. Oh my God, wilderness area. It is wunderbar, man. We're going up there. We're going to try to find some uh, like uh, rustic backwoods uh, camping up near Lake Superior. With no amenities, no anything. <laughs> it should be fucking great. No cell service, no anything. Kind of hike in. I haven't done that kind of stuff in a long time since the uh, traveling dried up a few years ago. Anyway, got a couple more segments I think I'm going to try to knock out tonight. This one, I think, is uh, kind of ties into the last one. Data overload is supposed to come next in this sequence, but I've talked so much about that. I think that everybody who listens to this podcast on a regular basis has a, a really good idea what I mean by data overload. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of just skim over that and we're going to talk about tribalism once again. My opinions on tribalism, my thoughts on tribalism, it, it, they've changed. Like propaganda. When I first started this podcast, I'll say it again, I thought that propaganda was something that could be fought. That with awareness and education, that people would be able to just, for the most part, get rid of it. Recognize it. Move past it. Right? And we'd be able to live in reason and truth. And oh, That ain't going to happen. That is never going to happen. It was never gonna happen. It just isn't. Propaganda is part of who we are. It's a natural emanation from a species that does not want to endure, really, the reality of its own existence. We are storytellers. We are not truth seekers. Propaganda is a story. We have internal narratives. We tell ourselves about our lives and the people in it. We have external stories that we tell each other. To convince people, co you know, coerce people, bamboozle people, just give people the pixie dust and unicorns and happy rainbows. People are storytellers. We are not truth seekers. If you want to understand propaganda, you have got to start there. And realizing this, I know, I know, you're, you've heard, listened to this podcast a lot over the last couple of years. I know I keep repeating. I'm going to keep repeating it because that is it, it completely sidetracked me, derailed this podcast, really. I said before, I, I was going to try to demonize Edward Bernays, you know, the, the father of propaganda, the guy who renamed propaganda public relations. This is literal. Go look it up. There's a video of him on YouTube talking about it in the 1920s. You know, the video is from the, the 50s or 60s. He's long dead. But in the 1920s, he founded the Council on Public Relations or something down that line, literally taking propaganda Got a bad name during World War One. He rebranded it. He basically Xfinity to Comcast. <laughs> you know. But I was gonna try to demonize this guy. I was like, oh, he's he's like Dr. Frankenfuckenstein. Ain't the case. Now, this is who we are and what we do. You can understand it. I mean, to really be able to deal with it, you gotta understand it. And to understand it, you have to understand human beings. And to understand human beings, you've got to understand yourself and how you think. So this is a process of self-exploration, self-awareness, but it has to be done both on an individual level, like me and you, uh, 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 but it also has to be done collectively because if six fucking people do it, it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Sausage party hope. Anyway, uh, I've also had the same re uh, relationship with tribalism. I started using the word tribalism, I think, in 2014, probably 2013, but I, I think in the podcast that I was doing in 2014, I used it quite a bit. I think that was the, the, the original place for it. I was, uh, yeah, I was 
thinking that I'd found this new trendy, neat little word that I could drop into conversation to make me sound smart. This is before anybody really understood what tribalism was. Nobody was talking about tribalism in 2014. Well, damn it, I was. Again, I thought it was one of these things we could eradicate. You know, you point it out, you tell people, stop being tribal, and people could stop being tribal. Well, that was stupid. It was naive on my part because, again, I didn't have the foundation, the education, the, I hadn't done the research on human nature, evolutionary nature, evolutionary, the, evo- the psychological evolution, the biological evolution, the social evolution of the species, how we got to this point where we are. Let me just say this. If you do believe in God and you think the, the, the Bible is literal, that we were created in God's image and all this, literally, you think we're not evolved, that we didn't evolve, you're not going to like this part. <laughs> okay. But understanding that history, understanding biological, social, human evolution, this stuff starts to make a whole lot more sense. And tribalism is one of the foundational pieces of the human DNA. The tribe, the family is the lowest level. That's, that's the most fundamental tribe there is, the human family. And then it moves up uh, from there. Sebastian Younger, I think is like, God, I hope I got that right. I think it's Younger, J-U-N-G-E-R, Sebastian Younger. I hope that hope that's right. He's got this fantastic book out there. This Really, I didn't expect this to happen when I read it. But he put this all into a better context, understanding why people need these groups, these tribes, family, community, little groups to look out for each other, to feel a part of. It's 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 one of the most foundational, one of the primary human needs is the need to belong to something, to someone. We did it for protection. Having a little group of people together in the in the woods, in the forest, or whatever, to protect us from the bad guys over here that want to come and take our shit and rape our women. Groups, tribes, protecting each other, looking out for each other. And Sebastian Younger in his book, Tribe, he, he laid that out very, very well. And he put it in the context, I think, the one thing that really sticks out in my head was when he was talking about soldiers in combat. The brotherhood of soldiers in combat. Like, it seems like it would be this horrific experience being in warfare, right? But a lot of soldiers who have endured warfare, endured combat, horrific, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, modern day, and they come back to civilization, civilized society, and they have a really, really hard time readapting to that because they found this group, this, this tribe. They found people to depend upon with their lives. That's a tribe. And then you leave the service and you come home and you just, it's destroyed. And plus two, how do you, after you've lived life in 8K like that, how do you come back to just ordinary existence? I mean, you would think, yeah, you're not getting shot at anymore. You're not getting, you having your friends blown up anymore. You'd think that would be a wonderful thing. But a lot of, a lot of servicemen have a really hard time with that. And Younger put uh, the rationale at the, the brotherhood of the, the tribe, or the tribe of the brotherhood. And Noval Harari, uh, his book, uh, which one is it? Sapiens. Uh, that was another one. A really short, I guess, a recapsulation of human history. Just the little phases and little, little spurts and the little developmental periods that humanity went through. And he's another one that, that really outlines this really well. I mean, he he's... Not a positive guy. He's not a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Like he's one of the first people that I've, some one of the first other people that I've heard say that justice doesn't exist. It doesn't exist outside of the human mind. You know, that's the kind of realist that this guy is, right? And he went into this as well. He outlines like why we we evolved to to congregate together into groups of people who have our interest at heart, who are willing to protect us. You know, if you're out in the jungle, you're one of these early men back, God knows when, you've got your, your woman and your little pups back here, and you got some guy over here who wants to come and not only take your shit, but take your woman and kill your kids. Well, isn't it better to have groups of people together, a tribe, to protect you from those other nefarious types, 
And wouldn't it be better for those other nefarious types if you happen to be one of the ones who would go marauding looking for food and women? Wouldn't it be better for them to protect themselves as well? This is sort of the foundation. And it's not that much of a stretch, man. It's not hard to understand why people evolved to form tribes, to form coalitions, nations, to protect themselves and people like them from the other. It's real easy. So, kind of a long way to say, I have rethought my initial assumptions about tribalism. Right or wrong, I mean, you can, you can attach any sort of subjective judgment you want to, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, I'll leave, you know, whatever. But you're not getting rid of it. That's the main point here. It's there. It's there for a reason. It's not entirely bad. And you can talk about, because oh, we need to just come together as one people, one race, one global brother. Shut up. People don't want that. That horrifies people. They want to congregate with people who are like them. It really is simple. It's everywhere. Go to Chicago. Go to New York City. Go to San Francisco. Trapes around the different neighborhoods or the different neighborhoods that used to be there before maybe they were gentrified. Chinatown? <laughs> you think that was just inflicted upon the Chinese? Little Italy? Chicago still has those neighborhoods. They're great. They're wonderful, but they're all people who decided to congregate together because they share a common language, a common heritage. They are people who have congregated together because they are like each other, and people enjoy that, whether you like it or not. The black neighborhoods. Oh, but it's just poverty. Are you sure it's just poverty? I don't think so. People are tribal. So Adam Kinzinger, I was ripping him an asshole earlier. I used to like this guy a lot. I still like him. I mean, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I got to admit it. I, I like what he, I, I like the ideas that he supposedly stands for. He's full of shit. He doesn't need to be anywhere near any kind of power anymore. I kind of respected what he was trying to do, but he keeps talking about toxic tribalism. It's a fun alliteration. Toxic tribalism sounds really good off the tongue, right? Looks good on a bumper sticker. And toxic tribalism. Tribalism is neither toxic nor is it a defect in and of itself. It's what people do. The higher up the tribal chain we go, the better. Now, what I mean by that is the basic fundamental tribal unit is the family, Right? Probably started out that way. We've got little families here. We've got one family here, one family here, right? Bunch of kids get born, grow up. You've got this family, this clan over here, this clan over there. Think the Hatfields and McCoys. At some point, the tribal level raised a little bit. So the Hatfields and the McCoys became a unit, right? And maybe the Smiths over here joined up. Then all of a sudden, you've got a tiny little community. And then you start getting these clans together. Pretty soon, eventually, well, not pretty soon, probably took, I don't know, God knows how long. I'm not, I don't really care. The, the point is that you get these, these clans to come together under a higher level of tribe, right? The higher you go, the better as far as cohesion goes, as far as lack of conflict goes, all the way up to nations. If you have a tribal identity, as an American, as a Canadian, God knows why anybody would want to identify with Canadian, but yeah, apparently they do. You know, Swiss. The higher up you go, the better. If you can get people to identify as that specific thing, that one thing that they can all agree upon, that they all are, the better. You're going to have much, a much higher degree of unity. Cohesion. That's where the cohesive narrative comes in, the national myth. Because then once you've got all these people together believing that they are part of this thing, that they are this nationality, whatever, usually have done a pretty good job at creating a national myth origin story in the Bible, right? This is how America came to be. And you've got this, yeah, most of it's bullshit. A lot of bullshit based on a lot of fact. But it's the thing that brings people together, the thing that generates a sense of pride in who we are and what we're doing and where we're going. The higher the identification, the higher the degree in unity in which you're probably going to live. 
What happens when you start fragmenting that? Splitting the population, cleaving them off, chopping them off from this bigger, larger, unified piece. Then you've got intertribal conflict, self-interest, group interest, micro-interest take over and start advocating for themselves, right? Sure, it makes a lot of sense. Why wouldn't they? But how often and how far can you go down that line and still keep a super society, which is what we are, how far down the uh, identity politics, the identity tribal conflict road can you go and still keep your society intact, stable? That's been the, uh, the revolutionary playbook for forever. Agitate. Cleave people off, particularly in this country. We like to hear how diversity is our strength, that multiculturalism is the way to go. It's, it, it makes everything better. I'm going to shock you. I think it has its advantages. It's nice to be able to say you're a nice, diverse country. But logically speaking and realistically speaking, is that true? Is it true that multiculturalism is a benefit in a super society? Or is it prone inevitably going to be prone to infighting as someone figures out that you're going to be able to create discord, destabilization by pitting each of these diverse groups against each other at some point. Multiculturalism works, but only, only if your society is functioning at that highest level that I was talking about before. Americans functioning under the same cohesive narrative, foundational myth, that we all believe we are Americans first. And anything else other than that really doesn't matter. But once you start turning them into ex-Americans, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Native Americans, well, Native Americans, yeah, Latino Americans, then all of a sudden, that's the tribe that these various groups, they, you know, that's what they identify with. And if they start wanting to, you know, advocate for themselves, if they start getting the uh, agitation propaganda of oppression, how you've been treated unfairly. Once that starts to kick in and once that's weaponized, what's the ultimate destination then for your society, for your super society? Once you have the internal groups, all of these various factions in fighting, where are you going? Cheat sheet, nowhere good. This is going to be the ultimate legacy of identity politics. Obviously, you knew that's what I was talking about. We went from Americans to African-Americans to feminists to Latino to gay, trans, blah, 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 blah. There are as many micro-identities as special fluid pronouns now, or maybe as many special fluid pronouns as there are micro-identities. Unity via division. It's an oxymoron. Let's come together. Let's split you off, divide you up, set you at each other's throats, put your, with each of you, each of us, having their own self-interest, their own group identities, interest, top of mind, self-advocating, special interest groups galore, advocating for themselves, and then preach about unity? Unity via division. It's asinine. It doesn't work anywhere. Most of all, least of all, I should say, in a, in a society like this. We do not need tribal disinfectant. What's required is a basic collective, again, a basic collective, say it with me, one, two, three, understanding of tribalism and uh, how it works. What can happen when agitation, propaganda, we're back to it again, and we're going to come back to it multiple times in the very near future in this podcast. Get used to it. Agitation, propaganda is used to generate Manipulate, provoke, and unleash already present, probably inherent tendencies toward tribal hatreds. Once you have taken these people, dropped them down from that top level of identification, and then you've set them into their little camps down here. I'm an African-American. I'm a Latino-American. I'm a white American. And set them at each other. Love is not the most powerful human emotion, my friends. <laughs> no. Hatred is, and it's the most easily provoked. The means by which that's done externally and on purpose. 
It's the propaganda of destabilization, the propaganda of revolution, agitation, propaganda, and jit prop. <sighs> I hate to tell you, these, 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 these hatreds can't be turned off like a fucking water spigot. Once you have people riled up, I mentioned this in another podcast, recent podcast, Cuba. Agitation propaganda used to rile up the peasantry, rile up Cuba. That's how 12 or 14 people landed on a fucking boat and managed to conquer Batista. They agitated in the countryside. They riled these people up with hatreds. Well, when Castro finally took Havana, these people wanted blood. They're the revolutionary Fuhrer is still there. Maybe the revolution isn't going far enough, fast enough. Well, we died and we bled for you. We killed these people for you. What are you going to do? Don't just turn that off. It's impossible. What's required is a crackdown. That's done via violence, asked Che Guevara, and a thing called integration propaganda. Integration propaganda works in both peacetime and in wartime. Integration propaganda works in the military. It's what the, that's the propaganda, the spin that you're told when you join the military. The kind of stuff that, that'll keep you in check, keep, keep your head in check when they tell you to go storm the beach in Normandy. Thinking of your self-interest, you're not going to do that, right? How do you get there? How do you get people there? I'm proud to be an American. Interesting story there. I'll spare you the details. Have you ever seen a, an entire company of grown men bawling? I have. <laughs> Boot camp. They fuck with your head. And then they bring out that Lee Greenwood song at the end of it. And you've got people, these black guys and these, these Latino guys from New York City, in the hood, rednecks from goddamn Kentucky, bawling like little girls. In front of each other, hugging each other. Oh, that's how they do it. There'll be a study done on boot camp. That's integration propaganda. They are integrating you into the unit so that you become a useful and predictable, controllable part of that unit. Integration propaganda works in ideologies as well. Sociological propaganda and integration propaganda, my understanding of it anyway, those two things are very, very similar. But agitation propaganda is the one I'm most concerned with. Obviously, I mentioned it every podcast, I think, right? Pretty much. I think I have mentioned agitation propaganda at least once in just about every podcast. I think this is either 124 or 125, depending on how I split it up. Anyway, yeah, you can't just turn those hatreds off. You can't just unplug it. Oh, well, I guess we'll calm down now. No, it doesn't work that way. And that's the terrifying thing. I've talked about, I've mentioned, and I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but Vichy France, if you're historically literate, you know what Vichy France is. Trying to get along, make things easy. This is the stuff that scares me for, not about, but for my Vichy white friends. That the hatreds that you're collaborating with if they get to the point where they're unleashed enough, you think you're going to be spared? It didn't work out very well for the moneyed bourgeois in Russia. There were rich people in Russia who tried to be one of the good ones. Didn't work out very well for them. That's, a, that's probably historical precedent all over the place for stuff like that, right? I'm one of the good ones. You can't hurt me. You want to bet? Eh, we don't really care if you're good. You're bourgeois. Be careful with this. Be careful what you're unleashing for political gains because I'm pretty sure that if it gets to the point where you want it to, you've washed enough feet and you've apologized for being white enough, if you actually achieve what it is you hope to achieve, what I assume you hope to achieve, I don't think this is going to work out the way you think it is. Historically speaking, what I know about Agitprop, not to mention built-up racial hatreds lasting three, four hundred years. Is this something you really, really want to fuck with? Hmm. I think forward about this as I move into the uh, anti-woke stuff a little bit more and more. And I think about the Vichy Whites a lot. I do. I mean, I don't understand these folks. Yeah, I did a segment on this when I was talking about uh, how can you do this to your own children kind of thing, right? And... I'm trying to project forward a little bit. 
trying to play the role of Todd Stradamus. And I think as it depends on how it goes, it depends on how effective uh, racial provocateurs are. But this is going to be an easy sell from my perspective moving forward, because they're not, these people aren't stupid. They're well-intentioned. They want to do the right thing. But if this moves too far, the racial division moves too far. There was an example my friend Joe sent to me a couple of weeks ago. South Africa, a bunch of white or black kids uh, stoked up by, I guess, some concert or something over there. I don't know. That's, that's kind of what the article was implying, that they were jacked up by this racist concert that said, go kill all the white people, right? So these group of black teenagers went out of the countryside and murdered a black family or a white family, stole their car or wait, killed the guy, wounded the woman, stole the car. They caught him. Joe's like, yeah, this is coming here. And I got to think about Well, maybe, but this reminds me of the stuff I've been reading about Native Americans on the frontier. They went and raided frontier villages, homesteads, killed any white people they could find. Kids, women, didn't matter. Tortured them, sometimes ate them, <laughs> right? But they were trying to engage in a terrorist campaign. They wanted to scare white people away. Don't come any further because this is our land. And if you do, that more of this shit's going to happen. It didn't work. Did the white people run? No, they reacted to seeing their family killed. They reacted to seeing their neighbors killed. All this did was reinforce the subhuman propaganda and rhetoric that had already been hurled at the Indians. Well, I guess they were right. They are savages. Look what they did. This is how you get from French cooperation with the Indians, with the Native Americans, to eradication. And the difference here, between here and South Africa, again, I'm not advocating any of this. I'm just kind of projecting for it. I'm trying to get my head around how this could possibly go. But this is, this is the goal here, is racial strife. You don't see that kind of activity here in this country. What I was talking about with South Africa. The difference in this country with South Africa is South Africa is 80% black. This country, 16% of the population is African-American. 60% still white, believe it or not. The comparison, I think, in my head, would be closer to, they would never get to the point, obviously, with Native Americans, but you want to perpetuate, reinforce, strengthen stereotypes some whites attribute to blacks? How do, how's that going to work out? At the very least, whatever progress is made with civil rights and equality, equality, not equity, equality, trying to look past race, trying to look past the color of a person's skin, the seeing the content of the character, you keep provoking people, you keep provoking people toward hatred. The hatred eventually needs an outlet. The hatred eventually will become more and more violence. That just feeds into it. I mean, it's counterproductive. I guess my point is looking forward, looking, looking down that road a little bit. I mean, you talk about these people in South Africa. This is South fucking Africa, right? Why, what the hell do I care what's happened in South? Well, you give me a couple of examples of that here. It's an easy sell. I don't have a lot of, I don't know if I have any <laughs> liberal listeners left, but the ones that I know of that I've been in contact with, interacting with, they're not dumb. I think they're going to be able to get their head around their own self-interest eventually. It won't take much. Like, oopsie, we need to move back from this. Identity politics, kids. There's a lot more I want to say on this, and I probably will later. As far as the history of this country goes, the mistakes that were made wasn't just slavery. In my opinion, there were many mistakes that were made <laughs> post-slavery. And I'm talking about Jim Crow and all that, beyond all that. I just don't want to get into that just yet. It's uncomfortable. But rationally speaking, from the country's perspective, stability's perspective, I think it's obvious. Tribalism. 
You want to hear more on tribalism? Good. Sit right there. There's a new party being born. The People Who Hate People Party. People who hate people, come together. No. We're kind of having trouble getting off the boards, but you know. Are you going to be there? Yeah. Then I ain't fucking coming. You're our strongest member. Fuck you. That's what I'm talking about. You asshole. Fuck off. Damn, we almost had a meeting going. It's so hard to get my people together. Listening to the Escape in the Cave podcast, Tonzilla X over at Substack. Tonzilla X at YouTube. Escape in the Cave Facebook page. Ooh. It's luxurious over there. Mm. No Twitter. Got an Instagram thing too, Tonzilla X over there. That's pretty much for video clips. Stuff that I get from the live stream to nowhere that I do when I record these things. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of funny. I got somebody watching me tonight. I don't know who the hell it is, but one person. There. You've been immortalized. You happy? She refuses to say who they are. Probably somebody I know. It's been a marathon recording session tonight. I uh, kind of feel something closer to normal this week. Voice has gotten stronger in the last hour, so watch it go now. <laughs> I jinxed myself. Talking about tribalism. A little bit more on that. A little bit more down the the ideological woke line in this one, eventually. You know, in ancient societies, ostracizing someone from the clan was considered something close to capital punishment. Forcibly eject a man from his adopted tribe. Unwillingly eject him. From his adopted tribe, the societal family, to which he identifies, and he will psychologically convulse. Same idea behind, same concept behind solitary confinement. You take people away from their group, from people. It's the same idea. You eject them from society. You eject them from their tribe. You force them out on their own. And people don't react well to that. If you've ever seen the videos on YouTube... Of what happens when a soul lone, lost, misguided little chimp wanders too close to one herd of chimps or another. If you've ever watched those videos of what happens, it's understandable. Again, we're going back to the fundamental reasons why people congregate together in the first place. Protection, security, sense of belonging, because they know what can happen. Deep down inside, I think they kind of know. They have this instinct of what could happen if they do not belong to another uh, group. Tribalism is evolutionary. It's natural, universal, human psychological trait. You used to see it as a defect. I said that in the last segment. I used to see it as a defect, but again, it's neither good nor bad. Probably both at the same time as things in a nuanced world, believe it or not, can sometimes be. It doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to be either good or bad. It has negative reactions, has negative connotations and negative effects, but it also serves a real purpose. It's something that's not going to be eradicated. Not going away. You need other examples of tribalism in action. All you have to do is look at sports, religion, ideological fanaticism, of course, and the political echo chambers that we have unwittingly fallen into. Those are tribes as well. And they function the same fucking way. These ideological silos surrounding yourself by people who are of a like mind believe the same way you do. There is a certain security and protection in that, especially if you venture into the, the social media wilds. And find yourself in rhetorical combat with someone from another tribe. Well, your tribe is going to stand there. They're going to stand up and they're, unless you're a complete asshole, they're going to defend you. Right? You've all seen this happen. Well, this is the second, this is the same thing. It's it's the same idea, the tribalism that's in place. Some of you get into a fight with somebody on social media, your people will come in. Somebody else from the other side will jump in and all of a sudden you've got chimp warfare going on. There is a security in that. There's safety in numbers, strength in numbers. And it's easier to encamp yourself within these ideological informational silos than it is to go out, even if you can't. Let's just assume for a second that you are 
capable. You have the cognitive horsepower required. You have the time. You're not going to work every single day. You don't have the business of life to take care of. I'm, again, I'm, I'm different. I'm unique. I'm a, I'm a fucking unicorn who's luckier than any man alive. I understand that. But most people don't have the opportunity to do that. But let's pretend that you do. And you can think through everything issue every little plank in each ideological platform and come to your own conclusions. What do you think that would look like if you're just this lone entity, this lone ideological entity who's half this, half that, part this, part that, doesn't really believe this, but doesn't really believe this either. You're just this lone wolf, the lone chimp in the ideological jungle who doesn't appeal to anyone. That can be really scary. And I don't think, I don't really think that people understand that. I, I don't think that intellectually, I don't think that they're aware of it. Not consciously. But I think on some level, I think part of the intellectual siloing, the ideological uh, siloing we've done is that it's, it's really fucking hard to stand by yourself and stand in uh, both fire hoses at the same time. Because what if you're a liberal who thinks that, again, I'll use this example, that thinks abortion is murder, but also thinks that guns should go away? Who are you going to align yourself with? You're going to take heat from both sides. You're going to take, it's not going to be friendly fire at that point because you come out against abortion. Your liberal friends, your comrades, boy, they're going to tear into you as being a heretic, an apostate, blasphemer. And you're going to find, you know, people who agree with you, people who are grateful, people who will give you quarter on the other side for that issue. But as soon as you come out and say you think guns should go away, oh, shit, they're throwing you whatever quarter they gave you is gone. Nobody trusts you. Nobody can depend upon you because you are not a member of either congregation. It's dangerous. It's lonely. You're not going to be taken into the home, into the hut, and seated next to the warm hearth of ideological fellowship. You look that like an interloper, like the wayfarer, who the stranger who would walk into town, wander into town, maybe in the middle of the night, back in the Middle Ages, and people would be peering out their windows. Who is this interloper? Again, I don't think... I think maybe, maybe there's an inclination. Maybe I'll, I'll give that. I'll offer that there is perhaps an inclination in people's minds about this, but I don't think that they understand or are consciously aware of how terrifying it is for the shaved ape to be isolated and alone, even intellectually. But if you think about it, it's scary. And as someone who's done it, <laughs> that fear, I'm going to tell you right now, there's foundation to it. It is being your own man, as Emerson liked to say, being your own man is dangerous, it's lonely, it's challenging, and it, boy, it's isolating. It's fuck. Because people, they'll always tell you. They will always tell you how they admire your independence and they admire this and they admire your courage for standing up to this, that, and the other thing until you stand up to their religion, their ideology, their doctrine. Until you point a finger at their belief system, then they hate it. Well, you're no longer. <laughs> oh, well, you're just such a great independent thinker. No, not anymore. You don't like you disagreeing with me. Now you're stupid. Now you're retard. I've experienced this, boy. I'll tell you. And they never really trust you. The people in these ideological camps will never fully trust you. They don't appreciate that you're an independent thinker. Despite any proclamations they may give, may any, any lip service they give to their appreciation for independent critical thought, they don't appreciate that. They only appreciate people who are encamped in these ideological congregations only appreciate ideological loyalty. It's no different from a church. If you go into a church challenging the veracity of the origin story, I can appreciate, oh, boy, I, I'm really, it's nice to see someone really asking questions. No, come on. So people say they appreciate it. They don't. And it's really challenging, especially in this day and age, to run into other people. It's almost like the Bill Hicks things. I've said this before, right? 
the people who hate people party, <laughs> right? Because if you're truly an independent thinker, if you're somebody who's truly, truly divorced and unaffiliated, unattached to these ideological religions, these cults, you may find other people who are independent thinkers trying to find their own way of figure out what they believe. But eventually, if they're really independent thinkers, <laughs> you're going to find conflict. How often do you think when you find that conflict, you're, have you found a like tribal mind? The people who hate people party. People who hate people party, why would you get together? If you hate people, why would you conquer? Well, if you're an independent thinker and you want to think, you're not going to have that, that cohesion. You're not going to be uh, destined to find more like minds. Because if you're independent, yours is the only one. And if you find other independent thinkers, theirs is the only one. So if you're looking for like minds and you're looking for people to have discussions with and elaborate ideas with, well, you are looking for someone who thinks like you. See what I mean? It's lonely. By design. I didn't realize that. <laughs> I, you know, I consider myself insightful. I do. I see things. I, I think I see things a lot of people don't see. I miss some really obvious shit. Just glaring, right? Oh, I'll be the guy who seeks out truth at all costs. This will be great. <clears throat> you ready? <sighs> so, yeah. There's a reason that more people do not do this. There's a reason that the uh, traditional tribalism, the community tribalism, the tribalism of physical protection has also moved into the ideological and philosophical phase. Like all these philosophies, think about that. All of these like existentialists and I don't know, whatever else. Why are they all in a camp? If you're a philosopher <laughs> and you're examining the universe and examining existence from this, you know, individualistic original point of view, why are you joining a group? Yeah. This is part of the hopeful message that really I will happily Give this performance at the Bar Mitzvah next week. If you have one coming up, I'm free next week, half off. Uh, tribalism is organic in the hands of the wrong people. However, that tribalism is uh, exploitable. It's one of the primary tools of disinformation and propaganda. And unfortunately, not something that can be amputated via pre-propaganda campaigns and cultural eugenics. You hear me, Woke Flake? It cannot be amputated via cultural eugenics. Tribalism. The more you try, the deeper it runs, the stronger it gets. I used to talk a lot about the boomerang. Boomerang-ing and the backdraft. Identity versus oppressor politics. It's tribal politics. Now, in the United States, collectivism is diametrically opposed to this country's foundational and binding tribal mythology. The established cultural, national myth, and narrative. Competition, individuality, personal individual freedom, responsibility, and merit. That you can go as far as your talents and your perseverance will take you. In this country, the myth is that you're going to get what you put in. All men are created equal. That's another part of it, of course. Anyway, the, the point is, is what you do with your life is up to you. Say it again, a lot of it still is scripture-grade bullshit, nature of mythology, though, and of course, ideology. Collectivism and individual freedom are diametrically opposed for the same reason that safety and security are diametrically opposed. You cannot bask in both collectivism and individuality or safety and security. You have to choose which you value most. Collectivism in this country is and always has been an insurgency. A group of people trying to impose change, the established order, uses and has always used the tactics, method, and propaganda of an insurgent revolution. Do you know where I'm going with this? The agitprop connection again? <laughs> like the word revolution and revolutionary historically saturates socialist, collectivist, and communist rhetoric and literature worldwide. Does that for a reason. 
It attacks the established order, whether that order is in the uh, czarist system in Russia, Batista in Cuba, capitalism here. It's attacking an order, finding the internal scapegoats. It's another thing. Remember that next time you hear EOC or Bernie belching about a political revolution. It's not just political rhetoric. It's not just hyperbole. In this country, revolution is exactly what they're preaching, is a literal revolution. Are you ready for the revolution? They're not speaking in hyperbole. They mean it. Collectivism and individuality. Individuality is the American myth. It's the, the foundational myth, the fundamental foundation of everything. Individual freedom, the right to be who you are, to think how you think, to be a man, an independent human being, freed with the right not to believe. Yeah, we have freedom of religion here. We also have the freedom from religion here. You don't have to believe anything unless now the revolution takes root. And you have collectivism, the collectivist ideology imposed and forced upon you. That's the revolution. That's the revolution that AOC and Bernie and the rest of this, the comrade hordes like to talk about. They mean it. They mean it because for them to be able to achieve what they want to achieve, it's required. Our history differs from Europe's and uh, our breed of social democrats <laughs> does as well. The social democrats go before Hitler, right? In fact, the social democrats are the first ones, if I remember this right, I'm almost positive when Hitler started throwing people in jail, social democrats, I think, were the first ones. But democratic socialists... They're a different breed in Europe than they are here. I first stumbled across these creatures in 2011. I was really interested in the Occupy movement for about a month. I went to a bunch of meetings. We were living out in New Mexico at the time in Santa Fe. I went to the Occupy Santa Fe meetings, you know, the group meetings. Also went down to where they had their tents. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'll tell you a story about that sometime. The tents were empty. Props. But um, the first time I encountered these uh, democratic socialists, the stuff infesting the Democratic Socialists of America, the political party that doesn't want to quite be a party because, well, it's just easier to hijack the Democratic Party, I guess. But that was the first time I saw this. This is how they clap. There's a great video of the Democratic Socialist Convention on YouTube somewhere. I did a whole thing on this a couple of years ago because I heard this and I, I saw them doing this. This is how they clap because they don't want to trigger anybody with noise. But they, yeah, they were calling themselves comrade in this video. Go check that out. This is, this is a different breed. This is not a democratic socialist. They may be calling themselves that, but they're not. And the people that they support are AOC and Bernie. I think they, they endorsed uh, Bernie Sanders in the last election. Bernie Sanders called himself a democratic socialist for years. He doesn't hide from it. At least I, yeah, I give him that. <laughs> But AOC? Anyway, I need to finish this. I feel my voice going. Woke flakeism is something altogether different, of course. And I'm talking about the extremists, but the radicals, the radicals, predictably, have uh, seized their side of this politically binary wheel once again, just as the Tea Party did 10, 12, I guess 12 years ago now. 13 years ago, almost. The Tea Party managed to seize that side of the binary wheel and yanked it toward Trumpism. Woke flakeism, woke ontology has grabbed the other side of the wheel now and is yanking their team toward uh, green tea ideology. I mean, some of the stuff that's come out of Joe Biden's mouth in the last, I don't know, two years makes no sense. <laughs> that's not Joe Biden. I don't know whose hand is up his ass going, Biden gives birth. Wow. That's not Joe Biden. That's somebody else. Somebody else's voice coming out of his mouth. This is the part that uh, kind of bothers me, kind of scares me a little bit. The day is growing near. And I'm pretty certain of this. Or you're going to have to choose which side and whose values you support. Freedom, personal responsibility, and the inherent risk that comes with life lived in the jungle or the safety, security, and enforced interpretation of cosmic justice that comes with life lived in the zoo 
What is it they said? What was that saying go? Yeah, life is safe in a dungeon, but nobody wants to live there. I prefer the zoo analogy. Jungle and zoo, I've been using that for years. Either way, whatever you decide to support, whichever side you choose is up to you. But since the quote-unquote choice is increasingly one between radicalizing binaries, far left and far right, most of us will have to uh, plug our nose and pick one or decide which extreme is the bigger threat. And deciding that based on your own self-interest in this day and age of identity politics of everybody <laughs> demanding that their self-interest be served. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Your personal self-interest, your family's self-interest, your children's, your specific children's self-interest. There is nothing wrong in the absence of a better choice, in the absence of a true common-sense uh Moderate choice. There is nothing wrong with deciding who you're against based on the interests of your family, yourself, your children, your community. People are doing that all over the place, right? Why aren't you allowed to? You are. Of course you are. And when it comes down to that, it's clear. The choice is clear. You don't have to be support somebody. You don't have to go buy you know, a bumper sticker or put a sign in your yard. What is just as legitimate when you're having to choose between politically binary extremist ideologies? If you have to choose between one of the two, it's perfectly fine to pick the one that doesn't demonize me at least. Click. Right? Decide which extreme is the bigger threat. How you define that, how you define the threat is completely up to you. But think very, very hard about that. Each side's going to have its demons. Each side's going to have its scapegoats. Internal enemies that'll be presented as evil and in need of eradication. Now make sure you don't choose a faction only to be targeted by the inevitable boomerang purge. Purge the scapegoats. Bourgeois. Money bourgeois. Be careful. Choose your extremists wisely. And on that happy note, I'm going to wrap this one up. I suspect I've got at least uh, two or three episodes here looking at the record time and this whole thing. <laughs> Toddzilla X over at uh, Substack, Toddzilla X at uh, YouTube, as well as uh, Instagram. You can check out the uh, Facebook page if you want to, if you can find Escape in the Cave. I don't Whatever. <laughs> Toddzilla X at gmail.com. You can get me there as well. If you like, check out the Twitch account or the Twitch channel. Usually right around midnight, it looks like uh, every Sunday is when I record these things on Twitch. I wouldn't call it a, a festival of engagement, but it's there if you want to check it out. I can't think of anything else. Ooh, I have like a time to bet out. Till next time, so long. <laughs>